0: but we'd actually designed our our organisation, as well as our landscape and our community events and everything around this whole kind of living process. And we were quite okay that we didn't have a, a map or a plan necessarily. And it was always okay for things to evolve and to change.
1: Well, Greetings and welcome to the Making Permaculture Stronger podcast. This is episode number 13, can you believe it? And today's uh, chat is, I'm very excited about, it. it's, um, I mean, I know I always say that, but I really, um, I was going to say I really mean it this time, but I always mean it. Just like the other times, today I'm very excited to bring you uh, an unbelievably rich conversation with Morag Gamble, uh, a new friend and colleague of mine who has been, caught up in permaculture for many years and I'm not going it's, to, it's unbelievable the stuff she says. She gets, she gets going, I get the message, I shut up and she goes for it and just covers so much incredible territory. I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'll chat with you again at the end and hope you get even a fraction of what I get out of it. Oh yes, yeah, so I was going to tell you one thing. During some of it, I noticed there's a bit of a thumping noise in the background, and I was thinking maybe it'll make, it'll be slightly less annoying for you as a listener if you know that that thumping noise was coming from very happy children, school holidays, they're running up and down the hallway in this um, in this house where I was sitting. Uh, hope that helps. It's not during all of it; it's just during a little bit. I don't think it's during the what I found the best bits, so no no major stress. But there you go. Catch you at the end. Okay, well, welcome to this episode of the Making Permaculture Stronger podcast. I'm very excited today to be talking with a new friend, and yet someone who's been a part of permaculture for a long time and who I've heard about for a long time, and that's Morag Gamble, who's talking to me from Crystal Waters Eco Village, which is just outside Milady. Is that right? That's it? Yeah. yeah, up here in the subtropics. Yeah, and after hearing about you for many years, Morag, who's this Morag person? Because I'd, I'd hear your name as a co teacher on permaculture design courses there and, and more recently found out that you're something of an internet sensation, or at least you've been creating online content videos and stuff. And some of them are getting like a lot of, you know, well, hundreds of thousands of watches and whatnot.
0: Yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing world, permaculture online. It's It's really opening up a whole lot of opportunities to communicate beyond just the people in front of you, which I love doing. That's kind of my main focus. But all of a sudden, I've discovered another medium for communication. Mm-hmm. And I'm yep. really enjoying the the connections that it's making and the friendships that I'm sort of able to cultivate through that.
1: Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Yeah, I was, throughout the chat, it'll be great to hear more about what's what's happening there. <laughs> and we connected about a month or so back at the 14th Australasian Permaculture Convergence. It was fantastic to meet you and some really rich conversations.
0: Yeah. And, you know, likewise, I think meeting you there too, because I'd heard about the work that you've been doing for a long time too. And I thought, gosh, that's someone I really need to connect with. You know, we're <laughs> at the other end of the country almost. And, you know, I've, you, know you, you know, you really need to meet someone. There's uh, people you feel connected to even though you haven't met them. And you are one of those. So I'm so glad we did connect at the, at the conference down mm. in Canberra. That was one of my highlights and so probably the main highlight, I reckon. Oh,
1: wow. Thank you. So that's yeah. beautiful to hear. Yeah. And, and for me too, it was, yeah, it was great. It was great to have made that connection. And so, yeah, we, 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 there was no doubt that we'd continue to be in conversation, and part of that was to record this chat. And I thought we'd start today, by, well, I thought I'd start by asking you to share a little bit about your, the history of your relationship with permaculture and where that relationship is at today. Sure. I mean, permaculture's been something, for as long as I can remember,
0: I think Bill started talking on on the radio and put out his books in the mid to late 70s, and my dad had picked up on that and throughout, I, that, I was growing up in the 70s and that was something that was always spoken about in our household and held up as something really forward-thinking, positive for the earth, for people, ethical. It's this ethical thing that's happening. You need to hear about this. And he would tell me what he was learning as I was, you know, a 10-year-old kid. And I think mm-hmm. in many ways that shaped my frame of reference for for so many things about the sorts of things that I chose to do, the sorts of ways that I perceive things, that, what I ended up, you know, working towards at uni as well. And um, so I guess for me that frame of reference was always there, which I guess is also something that, you know, thank my parents for for being switched on enough to, to pick up that back then. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so if, when I went, I actually went uh, to landscape architecture school and I, I remember feeling really dissatisfied with this sense of having to design for someone you didn't really know, of a landscape you didn't really connect with and deliver this kind of layer over something which really had no meaning. It might have been for an aesthetic of, uh, you know, I don't know, I can't even remember all the terminology they used at the time, but it didn't really fit. I never really felt it. So then I I started weaving permaculture into my landscape architecture and all of a sudden I felt this breath of fresh air and I and it made sense. It made sense to me. So um, it it changed my relationship with the with the profession of landscape architecture so much so that I was never actually ever engaged in a landscape architecture office. (laughs) (laughs) And there always was something that I would uh, use in. um, in a more community-based way. And so it's always been through helping people to design community landscapes and quite often not ever really saying that I was a, a designer, so to speak, but um, uh, using that landscape architecture informally um, through permaculture. Um, I, still, while I was at uni, I headed off overseas. I, I kept on hearing about these amazing thinkers and designers, people like Fritjof Capra, who was talking about systems thinking and um, looking at, um, oh, gosh, um, I, I remember one particular book that set me off on this great big rabbit hole of, of thinking, and it was called um, "Reenchantment of the World by Morris Berman. I don't know if you've come across that no, book. It was no, written no, right, somewhere way back in ancient history, I think maybe in 1981, and really it was a lot about um, um, seeing the world through a different perspective it was it was one of those early books talking about ecological paradigms and I was Mm -hmm. just everything in there I started to to look out and reference and um and I found Fridjof Capra through that and then his work led me to people like Victor Papanek who was all about social and ecological design and Mm -hmm. Helena Norberg Hodge who was who was looking at Ladakh and the learning from sustainable traditional communities and so I went and volunteered with her for probably almost a year in oh. the dark and mm-hmm. to to go and learn with people like Vandana Shiva and talking about the rights of nature the rights of women you know seed sovereignty and and so there was these I, I guess I kind what I did I went out to seek mentors I wasn't being nourished At the university level i got introduced it was at melbourne uni and it was really interesting broad course but i really didn't feel it was getting to the heart of it that kind of awareness that permaculture had brought me to the earth care people care fair share and so i I wanted to find out how i could to do that and so yeah i I went and spent time with fritch cap with helen and with vandana with Mm -hmm. victor papanek and please um people like um christopher day who was talking about places of the soul and so there's this whole different way of thinking about design and different way of thinking about connecting with people and place um, and what what we value and how we can interact as designers or actually not we're just part of that process you know like and so it's a it was an an interesting exploration and during that time, I spent a lot of uh, almost a year at a place called Schumacher College. And there, not far, must have been around the corner, it was in Tottenham, and around the corner um, lived a guy called Patrick Whitefield. And he popped into the college every now and then. He would run these workshops. He's one of the sort of um, early adopters of permaculture, I guess, in, in the UK. And I remember him taking us on walks through the landscape, listening listening to the land. and and taking people on these journeys and it reminded me that permaculture was something that I really needed to to dive into deeply again and so as soon as I came back to Australia the first thing I did was I booked myself into a permaculture design course finally and um, came up here to Crystal Waters to do it and that's where I met Evan who Mm -hmm. has been my life partner since then and I was I think I was 23 then and so, yeah, permaculture sort of woven its way, yeah, since I, I guess I was about 10 until that wow. point. And from that point it's pretty much been my whole entire life because it's my work, it's my, I live in a permaculture village, I've been involved in setting up permaculture city farms. So I teach it, I design it, and I live in it and I write about it and I film it and... So it's a frame of reference for a way of living and a way of being and a way of designing mm-hmm. without it being a dogma or, a, you know, something that can't be moved. For me, the sort of the, the underlying philosophy and ethics and values and the, the kind of paradigm that it sits within, really feel, I feel at, at peace with that and I have mm. a sense of wholeness with that, that my life, my my work, my my home life, my inner world, my world with my children, everything kind of can comfortably settle within that framework. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's kind of a, yeah, it's an over, I don't, yeah, like I said, it's not a, it's not a, a dogma or a framework. It's more mm-hmm. just a kind of a, I don't know, it's a, an interconnections between all the different parts. It weaves, weaves my world together. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should say it that way.
1: That's mm-hmm. beautiful. Beautiful languaging around it. You know, I've never heard it put quite like that before, but you, like, was it a frame of reference for a way of being, living and designing and everything else you said? Wow, thank you. That was rich. Yeah. <laughs> and so it sounds like your, your relationship with permaculture is a close relationship <laughs> and, um, and it's going pretty well.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. You know, and I think the thing too is that you know, it's a little bit like living in an eco-village. Some people, I find, expect that all of their needs are met completely by this one particular eco-village and if it's not all happening, then there's something wrong with the eco-village. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like permaculture. I feel, you know, like it's as a general frame of reference and a, and a sort of an overarching way of, of thinking and a set of values, most of it all kind of fits in. The bits that don't, that's okay. It doesn't all... Mm-hmm. You know, there's no one thing that has to fit everything, I don't think. and it's, mm. But, you know, I've, always, I've often thought, you know, maybe there's another term that actually weaves together, you know, all these other things mm. that I've woven into how I understand permaculture. But I always keep coming back to permaculture because it's yeah. kind of a, it's a language that we can share with so many different people around the world, which I love. You know, you, there's people in every corner of the world there's not corners of the world, but you know what I mean? That mm-hmm. there's e- everywhere there's people who understand what, what permaculture is about in their own different way, but it's a shared language that to me generally represents the fact that you're coming from a more ecological perspective and that you have a deep sense of caring for the earth and for people and of, you know, social justice and, and ethics. And, and and so when you're talking, you can kind of just step to the next sort of part of the conversation because you already you're already there together
1: yeah re- resonating on that level yeah it's lo- it's really lovely to hear you talking as you talk about permaculture <laughs> i have this beautiful feeling of like sign or not sign me up but like keep me signed up or or yeah. <laughs> you know every 100% of what you're saying is something that i you know that resonates with me because i've also I, my relationship with permaculture is younger than yours and it's still developing but it has been a close relationship we've been on intimate terms for some time but as part of this making permaculture stronger project and whatnot, there's been times in the last couple of years where it's felt like uh, permaculture and I we need a little a little bit of t- take a little bit of time out so to speak, or or just you know f- for me to sit with some of the some of the things you're kind of alluding to there that maybe didn't sit so well. And as you talk, it's like I realize, yeah, I think maybe it's when parts of permaculture start to think of itself as something more specific than it is, or something like that. Whereas mm. if it's that frame of reference level, it is it is. It is broad and, and around an orientation toward life and ecological literacy and social justice and the other things you were, you were mentioning, where everything yeah, else is kind of negotiable. But it's a yeah, beautiful, right. it's a, it's a beautiful starting point of, of that conversation.
0: Just what you said, then, it's an orientation. It's, and it is. It's a, way, it's a way of thinking and how it's applied in your community as opposed to my community or as opposed to, you know, people in Kenya or, you know, in um, Aceh it's going to look different Mm -hmm. and the techniques and the strategies will look different and there's different layers of understanding that everyone has about it but i think if we can rise above our sort of focus on the stuff Mm -hmm. to what's at that heart level and this is kind of where i always keep coming back to it's it's, how do we feel about it how and it's a frame of reference but it's also very much about what's in the heart Mm -hmm. because I guess as a teacher, one of the things that I've really realised is that until you start talking not just head to head, and you're actually connecting at a heart level with people yeah, yeah, and responding yeah. at a heart level, that it really it it stays very superficial, mm-hmm. and you can get very easily into um, judgment about mm-hmm. you know your way of permaculture is not as good as this way of permaculture, and rah. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can. Let that aside and, and come from a, a perspective of, you know, we, we're always talking about it in, in our culture, about acceptance of otherness and this mm. sort of the diversity. You know, that's a principle of permaculture. So within permaculture itself, it ripples out in an incredibly diverse way. Mm. But that's not to say that that central core or heart, or, and, and, heart and philosophy together can't be shared.
1: Yeah, totally, mm-hmm. totally, yeah. It's interesting because there's... That totally resonates. And yet there's another part of me that is interested in the conversation around yeah, it's it can show up in so many different ways. And and like you say, if you like if you see the same techniques and strategies popping up in different places around the world or even different places around the country, you know, that's probably a bad thing that they're gonna they're hopefully gonna be uniquely adapted to their specific situation. But that is as, as well as being an incredibly kind of unifying general frame of orientation or or reference that it is there is some things that make it what it is and make it different from other frames of reference. And one of those things being design, where where, um, I mean many permaculturists would agree that design process is the core of permaculture or or it's hard to at least it's hard to imagine a permaculture that didn't involve design. And so this conversation around what is it about design, design process or permaculture's take on it or how it shows up within permaculture that helps make permaculture so um, unique and special and and you talked earlier about a feeling of disillusionment or however you'd phrase it and when you're learning landscape architecture with some of the conventional approaches to uh, to design. Yeah, anyway, I, sorry I'm waffling a bit here but, but, but it'll be fun to go into that space a little bit although I'm conscious, you know, you might want to add a, a, a bit more a few more layers to your, to your story of permaculture. So maybe I'll give you a chance to do that. And then if, if you're up for it, we could start to explore um, some of your experiences with design, teaching design, practicing design, and, and see where that takes us.
0: Yeah. I just add a couple of extra little things. I mean, I, it, for most of my, pretty much my whole entire adult life, permaculture has been my livelihood. Mm. So it's been yeah, either through, um, well mostly through teaching and and through through working as a, as a designer with with people mm. um, and and i you know i 'm actually when i look look back over the last sort of twenty five years of of this relationship with permaculture that um, that it has actually been able to support me and and my family in that way that i 've been able to create a, a debt free life you know we 've built our own place here at Crystal waters and Um, you know, surrounded by gardens. So I have absolutely no debt. And I feel this sense Mm -hmm. of richness and abundance by living a a permaculture life that's mostly based on doing voluntary work as well. Mm -hmm. And so it's, yeah, I feel that it really does kind of work when you get into that gift economy, the sharing economy, the, the community economy, that whole space that's not just about the the, the physical stuff of permaculture, but the community permaculture, that is this amazingly rich landscape that mm-hmm. I love to explore. Mm-hmm. And um, so that that side of permaculture I find really wonderful. Um, and, you know, as part of that too, being able to work with communities, I don't know, maybe 20 different countries mm-hmm. working with permaculture from um, the global south to intensely urbanised Plus, you know, I thought I knew about urban permaculture <laughs> until I got to Hong Kong. <laughs> and I went, "Wow, <laughs> how do you have permaculture here? And so it was a, a fascinating exploration of, of looking at completely different des- design solutions and design thinking. And, and again, it came mostly um, back to, to the people. And, and it was one of the things that I was thinking about um, the other day that... Um, when I was at landscape architecture school, I came across this guy called Jan Gell. I don't know if you heard of him, he's a Danish designer. Mm-hmm. And he he he's done he actually I think he spent a lot of time in Melbourne doing some work at the uni, but also with the Melbourne City Council. It's around designing cities for people and he was really focused on um, quality of life and connectedness and always coming back to that thing about you know, like people are the are the starting point. And so I think that was a big influence in in my in my thinking, as well as the the other ones that I'd mentioned before,
1: mm-hmm. I just so readers know, oh, our listeners know, I've been making a note of all these names and books and stuff, so they'll be on the show. Yeah, page. okay. So, don't, <laughs> so don't need to be um, taking notes.
0: So Jan Girl was is talking a lot about people and the quality of of people um, creating human scale spaces, and that if we design with people, then you're going to get a far higher quality of life and a far higher quality of connectedness to that place so that people then start to care mm-hmm. so i came at permaculture originally <clears throat> too in the very early days from a from an environmental activist activist perspective and a peace activist perspective when i was 14 you know i was i was really i remember spending a lot of time on the streets of melbourne protesting and out in various places protesting because it was the time when there was Chernobyl was had happened, and so there was huge opening and awareness about the whole nuclear world, and that Australia was mining uranium and sending it around the world, and we were part of that whole process. And so that was that was really formative for me. I, it hurt deeply, hurt that we were part of that process. I was part of that process of what was happening in other part of the world. I also remember it was probably around 1983 or 4, I was sitting in a classroom at school. I actually remember it was typing class. It was dreadfully boring. I don't know why they had us doing typing. But all of a sudden the whole room, the whole school went dark and none of us knew what was going on. It was when all the soil from... Um, central Victoria engulfed Melbourne. Do you, I don't know if you, you probably it. like, yeah. don't remember. that It was the, the massive dust storm that engulfed Melbourne and I've seen pictures of it. There's this great big wall of soil just coming in over the top of Melbourne and I remember sitting there and then after I learned what that was about and the impact of, our, you know, land management practices and farming practices and, and so I started to really become really activated in in environmental work and you know forest where i was a uh, wilderness society activist and and worked quite a lot went to perth as part of the triennial conference and as an environmental conference and worked with Mm -hmm. people like bob brown and and i and i got to the point after a while that people stopped listening i felt you know that when you. You're saying, this is wrong, we've got to make a change and you're marching and you're yelling. And I, everyone I spoke to, even my good friends, I noticed, just started just putting this sort of glazed look, brick wall, didn't call so much anymore sort of thing. And, you know, I still feel it really deeply. I felt really passionate that something had to change. And I think it was at that point was when I started realising that I had. To, it was me that had to change, mm-hmm. that my... My response to the situations had to change. And it was then that I started to really, I think, realise the importance of things like permaculture as a, that positive solution a, approach to addressing people, people in the landscape. Because one of the things that does worry me about permaculture sometimes or any design is that it focuses on the physical Hmm. You know how are we 're going to design the landscape? what are we looking at our water systems, our energy systems how 's the house going to look, and you know where are we 're going to fit the chickens and but what about the people hmm. and it 's really about focusing first on how we we interact with all of those things is how it 's going to make sense and how we connect and therefore care for and be stewards of and have a deep relationship with those things unless we feel that deep connection it's still all just stuff and it's not going to resonate as deeply people aren't going to be engaged and so when I started getting involved in community projects after I'd done the permaculture course and I'd come back from places like Schumacher, I was trying to find like what makes sense of it like okay, um, I know about permaculture and sustainable societies. What, what does this all mean here in my community back here in Australia? What does this way of life look like? And, and so I just started. You know, I, it felt this huge thing I wanted to do, but I didn't know where, really where to find it. So I just I met up with a couple of people who started talking about wouldn't it be great to start an eco-village in, a, in the city? And I thought, yes, that's great. And then we started talking and it just became too hard. I said, mm. Okay, if we can't do that, what's the easiest thing that we can do just to do something together here now? Mm. And we went, Let's start a community garden. And so that's where North Street City Farm started out of. Oh, wow. And then the, the vision started evolving and growing and, you know, we did this sort of collaborative design process and, um, you know, it, it just rippled from there over time, and it was through that process that I think I started to cultivate up this sense of a, what was what I, I, don't know, I started calling it citizen design mm-hmm. and that that name has come out of just recently for me because uh, I, I was at the urban agriculture forum in in Melbourne um, earlier this year, and there was a lot of focus on um, urban'm um, sorry citizen science. And I was thinking, that's great. And, you know, but a lot of the citizen science projects that I've been involved with, you know, we do water watch, our kids are involved in a whole lot of different things. While we're homeschooling, the, the kids are gathering information and sending it off everywhere, but none of it ever came back. So it was this sense of we're, we're, we're citizen scientists and we're feeding in information, but it wasn't a two-way relationship. And so I know that there's many projects that are and... And that's great. But our experience of it wasn't. And I all of a sudden thought, well, actually, what we do is citizen design. It's actually about working with communities to think about, to design, to connect with, to engage, to co-create spaces in common land that are by the community for the community so that people feel connected with their local space it's not like having a designer coming in and designing a space for you or you know or the government designers from the local parks department or designing it for you it's actually you saying this is what we want to create in this space let's find out how to do it and and it's part of that idea of Activating as a neighborhood, visioning together, designing together, making it and learning together, gathering, finding an identity together that creates something much larger than itself, you know, and a and a completely different design than what you would have if you'd had engaged a designer to come in and work with you to create a design. It's it's a sort of a a ground-up way of recreating the commons or a sense of the commons because most up until then I don't think I really had the sense that public parks or open space was mine or yours or ours you know it was it's the the Ringwood Park or the Northcote Park or the it's not actually something that is our commons whereas it is it is actually our space our neighborhood space and the more that we feel a sense of connection and belonging to it and are given permission and enabled to interact more deeply than just as a user as a consumer Mm -hmm. but actually as a producer of the how it looks of of what's in there the the structures that are there the plants that are there the food that's there the the community meeting spaces that are there—it's—it's it's really activating that kind of sense of citizenry and the reimagining of the commons and a reconnection to the commons. And so, I was trying to find terminology to actually differentiate it from necessarily. Like, I love the idea of co-design, but it doesn't necessarily—it wasn't particularly related necessarily to that—that that sense of reimagining the commons. You can mm. you can co-design various spaces separate from that. Mm. So. I don't know whether it's useful having a separate term or not. It's definitely informed by permaculture. But anyways, something that popped out of my brain as I was on stage speaking at the Urban Agriculture Forum and I started talking about citizen design off the cuff. And so and I thought, OK, I'll follow that Ooh. and see where it goes. And and I actually don't know where it's going, but I I've just finished writing a chapter that for a book about the um, urban agriculture in Australia, which uh, Nick Rose from Sustain has been editing. Um, It's going to be published soon by the University of Western Australia um, press. Mm -hmm. Um, It's going to be coming out pretty soon, I think. So anyway, so that led me to write it. So it's actually in, um, in print very soon. So it has a life. And I started exploring where else it's been. And I came across, it sent me back to people like Christopher Day of Places of the Soul. And he's, he's written a lot about collaborative design in this community. And, but that's sort of more about how to design buildings and schools and things like that. So it's similar, but different. So they're all kind of connected. And then I came across this book, which is called Developing um, Citizen Designers. Oh, wow. And uh, so uh, and it, this is out of the States, and I think it's kind of like a bit of a, a reader for university um, program. And it's not necessarily about designing for community space. It's about developing and using your design skills for social good is what the basic frame of that. And that could be anything from graphic design to all sorts of things. So, yeah. So, anyway, that the citizen design idea was really about the process of co-designing, edible landscapes on the commons and engaging people with that. And, you know, again, too, I think it's not just about the designing side of it. It's about, uh, sorry, it's not just the physical side, it's the process too. It's not just the what, it's the how. And for me, that's a really, really important part. And the the successful projects that I've been involved in really have a, a focus on that. Because for me, that really helps to to cultivate that sense of connection and the eco-literacy and the engagement and the resilience of that system. So if you're thinking about how to apply uh, system thinking to a group or, you know, the, e- the permaculture principles and ethics to a group, it very much needs to, to keep refle- having this sort of self-regulating, reflective process that goes with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just very practically and simply, as we were starting out Northeast Street City Farm, I think one of the most important parts was that every I was every three months we would have we would have a gathering around underneath the mango tree. There was no shelters or anything. It was just a whole lot of stumps with some pallets, and we'd boil the billy because there was no power. Mm. And um, it's kind of it was it was really I mean, it was kind of amazing thinking about it. some only twenty twenty five years or something, but we were like carrying water from the from, you know, on buckets on our shoulders, like very urban peasant-y type thing. <laughs> but what we did was we we would sit down, we would ask ourselves, like, you know, how how are we... So how are we feeling about how's it going? Like, why, why do you think all those volunteers that had come just didn't stay for long? Or how can we improve our process? And we would explore as a group, as individuals, we would give each other... You know, I never until that point really... Um, seen myself as a leader i don't think i i remember sitting in some of those meetings and someone someone one of my elders i would say in that group pointed to me and said well i really see something in you about how, how i would really like to help support you to become a leader in this project you know as and i and i hadn't really acknowledged that before i'd always sort of seen myself as a as a very active participant. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, from a personal perspective, but also from a group perspective, I think that, that reflection process builds the strength and the resilience and the, the, the um, sense of, I don't know, there's something about that feeling deeply connected or a, con- a commitment to it. As a volunteer, it's quite easy to kind of just come and go. Like, what what is it that holds you to a place, to a project, to throw yourself into it so wholeheartedly, mm. without any? You're not getting paid for doing that. You know, sometimes it can be really hard. You know, the stuff that goes on that you have to work through. What is it that holds you to that project to really feel? And it, and it is. It's that it's that sense of connectedness, sense of meaning, and sense of purpose by feeling deeply embedded in that place and that community. And it's I think it's really very quite simple when you kind of look at it like that. So how as des- designers do we help to facilitate that process is always my question, that mm. it's not just about designing for, it's designing with, but not even that. It's about really cultivating those skills to be for people to be their own design. So if I, you know, if I and the three or four other people who were really deeply committed to the process at the start moved on, the whole thing wouldn't fall over. How do you build that resilience into a project so that it has a life of its own above and beyond the sort of the cells within it? And so we started to actually map out what our processes look like as living systems. Our organisational structure was a living system, mm. and there were there were these. You know, I would love to actually dive deep into my filing cabinet and pull out, or even to my brain, probably is the better spot to to sketch out these living systems that were um, models in our in our mind and in our organisation about how they how this worked, because on paper we would have. Something said we were a, a, an association, and we would work with that, but we'd actually designed our our organization as well as our landscape and our community events and everything around this whole kind of living process, and we were quite okay that we didn't have a, a, a map or a plan necessarily it, and it was always okay for things to evolve and to change because the this reflective process that we had enabled us to do that and every time there was new energy that came in it would be woven in and the Mm -hmm. things would go out and it Mm -hmm. could just keep evolving and changing it wasn't this sort of fixed set of rules or plans that everyone had to kind of work into it was very yeah it had that fluctuating flexibility that i just Mm -hmm. love you know Mm. so that was a really long-winded explanation of (laughs) my design thinking around those sorts of processes but there's a sense of I don't know, there's a sense of ease in it all of a sudden is that people don't necessarily feel like they have to be expert that everyone can be a designer through by being connecting and listening and they may have you know everyone's piece of the puzzle can be woven together and it's not that not always that sense of having to defer to someone else or i'm you know i'm not capable of that or they will do that for us and once we have that sense of autonomy and self self-regulation in our own system but very much connected to others you know i mean part of that process of say setting up northern street was we never saw ourselves as an isolated project every time we would we would One of the things I did early on was organise things like um, solstice events and monthly, you know, full moon events and we would generate a whole lot of food from either donations or from the city farm and um, invite people to come down. We charge $5 for all you can eat. We would keep half of the money for the city farm project and half the money would, would be to another project, somewhere another project in another part of the world. It could have been in Nepal or Indonesia or Africa or... Um, even in um, indigenous projects and and as part of that we would be learning with learning about connecting with those groups so we always felt we were like one one small part of this massive web of change that was happening in the world and that's really empowering as part of a creating and designing you know permaculture projects in in community spaces is that also, that you're not, yeah, you're not little cells. This whole idea of being self-sufficient on your own property, it's, it's just kind of opening that all up. You know, I guess my world of permaculture has never really been about that self-sufficient drive. It's always been about community self-reliance as a whole, looking at bioregions, looking at um, cities or global connections and, and finding patterns that connect. I've never felt that pressure like I have to do it all. You know, I, and it's freeing. It's, it's this sense of collaboration that I only exist in this world of um, living a simple life because I connect deeply with a whole lot of other people who are also doing that in their different ways and that I exist in relationship. I'm not this sort of soul entity in my soul place and I'm, I'm safe because I have my system set up. And what that does is that means that every time you're doing something, you're also helping to lift other people and other groups. And so it's this uplifting process rather than trying to, this protectionist process. It takes off that sense of, of fear of needing to, to protect yourself because you you need to remain open. That, you need to have that hard openness to be able to always find a way to connect. And like I said right at the very beginning, most of what I've done has not been from a monetary economy it's been through a sharing economy, and that all of you know these sharings that take place are mostly through yeah just general exchange and and finding friendships and and opportunities and um yeah uh, a, a mutual a mutual respect and a mutual need. It's um what I really love about this is that. You know, it took a long time for me to kind of nut this all out. I went through a really dark period in my teenage times. You know, I grew up in the suburbs. It was a lovely childhood. I'm not complaining about my childhood at all. But when I bumped into the world, there was a dark period. And I think I spent probably a year hiding away from the world. I think I was so traumatized by a lot of the things that I, that happened to me that I experienced that I saw and I needed to make sense of it. And it was through that time where I actually did contract into that space that I discovered all of these things and something switched on. And I, it was so powerful. I I used to spend a lot of time by myself in beautiful natural places, like um, Gippsland Lakes, for example, was probably my main space where I would just go to be and to, to think and to watch and to find, find that point of connection. And I didn't know that I was really searching until I found it as well. You know, <laughs> I just needed to be in a space that was uh, I nourishing and in calm. You know, something about watery spaces that you feel nurtured by, <laughs> Anyway, I I remember reading. I I would read copiously about, you know, this is the reenchantment of the world and all those sorts of books and turning points. And I remember reading these, and I and I had them all out across the table. They were all dog-eared and marked and cross-referenced, and all of this was just kind of pouring in. And I, I remember walking out one night, and this owl followed me down the street. And then all the way back down, I'd just take these walks up and down the point. It was these sandy roads, beautiful little, you know, fishing village type thing. And I, and every night I went out, the same hour would follow me up and down. And then one night I was just, I'd sat beside the beach and seriously these, it was, you know, I say light bulb moment, but it wasn't, it was sparks. It was, and I could, you know, I was sure I was actually seeing some kind of. I, I don't know what I thought I was seeing, but it, obviously there was that heart opening point and it was so powerful and so physical that I could I could see it. And from that point onwards, everything made sense. Everything had a sense of connectedness and everything just kind of fits. And so it's that point onwards that um, I think really um, I've just been, I've started putting it out rather than going inwards, it's been out. And so coming from that, that, that heart space of, yeah, this makes sense, this, has, this is purposeful, it's, this is where I, I really believe that in order for us as, as a society to find a way forward with all the interconnected crises that we're facing, the, you know, which essentially is what, what Friedrich Kappa talks a lot about, is a crisis of perception. It's how we perceive ourselves in relation to the world It's how we perceive um, all of the different things that are going on around us and how we respond and, and, um, to those and, and how we can connect all the different dots and see, okay, so it's, it's from the mechanistic paradigm and where we need to be moving is the ecological paradigm. So anyway, all of these different things. And I, what I really love is the fact that, I'm able to raise my my children, my family, and to share from this perspective. And, I, you know, I'm really hoping that they don't need to go through such a dark, they'll probably have their own dark period too of other things, you know, <laughs> everyone probably, you know, there's always a sense of needing to, I don't know, there's, there's a, it's the turning point, isn't it, really? You find a in society we have turning points. Personally we have turning points. Organisations have turning points but it's what you do when you get to that point it's that kind of bifurcation point does it break down or do you break through and what happens at that point and how do you nourish people at that point and how do you provide people with uh, skills and tools and, and ideas and thinking that you can feed into that so if something like that happens when they get to that point they have the skills or capacities to break through rather than break down and um, so I feel like you know raising your family in this environment and, and opening a house to people both online and and physically into this space to see okay there, there is another way to to live you know we could, we we have a house that looks kind of like a you know a, a queensland type house, but yet we use you know a tenth of the energy a tenth of the water we produce most of our own food we can you know homeschool, we got no debt all these things and so You know, from a physical point of view, it's an outward-looking thing saying, okay, so if we want to make change, it's possible to do things differently. And how, how might that look? And I quite often think that we really do need those points of reference where people can go, oh, yeah, it's not just a good idea. It actually works too, which is why I really love projects like community gardens and... Uh, you know, community-based projects like um, the, you know, CSAs or, you know, even eco-villages, they, they in themselves aren't necessarily perfect, but they offer a sort of a portal to experience another way of being. And I think really that's kind of what Schumacher College was for me too, in a way, that it was an opportunity to enter into living in community, thinking ecologically sharing and in a way that I'd never done before I grew up in the suburbs that was my frame of reference you know you lived in your houses and you had your own economy in your own house and you you were at your own little units silos really and while you knew your neighbors there wasn't really a sense of connectedness to the neighbors and it wasn't until I experienced that a deep sense of connection, living in community in places like Schumacher College, in Ladakh, and now in this eco-village, that it broadens out that understanding of earth care, people care, fair share, into such a much richer understanding of it. And every day it it becomes even
1: more rich, I think. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if if what you're talking about is permaculture, Maureen, (laughs) Count <laughs> me <laughs> <laughs> far out. You know, I, I, I didn't know what was going to happen today, and I, you know, I, I kind of thought, oh, I better be on my toes and ask the right questions and see if I can nudge the conversation into, into, into kind of the ballparks. I know, possible, but wow, just to, to realise that all I needed to do was hit that record button and shut up. <laughs> and you know. It, it's, an, it's, an ama- it's it's just so beautiful. And I'm not even going to try and recap. I mean, the, the richness of what you've just shared is, and I know some of the listeners will be feeling it too. You know my, my spine's been tingling for half an hour and my eyes started watering up just before. So yeah, I'm not even going to go there. But the, just the themes there, the deep resonance with, as you know, some of the spaces I've been exploring and, and that I was able to share with you when you attended a session of mine at the recent Convergence. And I've, I've deeply felt this stuff in you, in our brief interchanges, Um, but to hear it flooding out of you just then, that was, that was incredible. Wow. <laughs> and it just makes me so happy to, to, <laughs> to hear that, that stuff being channeled and, and shared. And not only the fact that it's, this is where you're at and this is who you are. This is, your connection with your own essence and your own gifts and, and, and the power with which you are now sending them outwards that you're, that's already happening through, you know, you, you've got a new online course. You said you got 80 people signed up. Wow. Yeah. I'm really excited about this online course.
0: I've always, you have always taught face to face and, you know, from permaculture courses here and, and around the world. And I, um, I, since the kids were little, I, I, contracted the sorts of workshops I did into shorter type of things because I was really wanting to stay present and focused on the fact that you know I wanted to I wanted to be where my children were and I didn't want to sort of drop them off at childcare and go off and do work whether it be permaculture work or other work and leave them behind I wanted my work to to draw them along on this journey as well so I I've been doing lots of short workshops around, and I and I found a really wonderful avenue for for working with people. It's actually through places like libraries and community centres and all those, and I, they're amazing venues for sharing a whole lot of different topics. And what I realised that did by having to contract my worldview into into something that's really practical and um, easy to digest, I suppose, into one and a half hours or two hour sessions, I started to learn different ways of communication, and then people kept asking me, "Oh you know have you got a book about this and I no sorry you know it 's just all in my head and it just comes out and it 's different every time, and uh, you know there 's no rhyme or reason about it and every time I try and sit down and write it down, it just you know when something 's whole and you try and put it on paper I I just can't do it so I and, I've tried, it so and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I really want to do it and I have, I've got many attempts and I have several books on the go and, but what I found was much easier for me because I've been training myself in communicating this way over the last decade is to stick a camera in front of me out in the garden and talk about what's going on and I can weave different things through that. And it's a wonderful, I love that way. What it does to me, what it does is I think, to me, a half back to that kind of thing about being a storyteller. And I hadn't really thought about myself as a storyteller until recently. And I thought, well, maybe actually that's what it is. I always thought a storyteller meant you had to tell fictional stories with sort of myths and all. But actually a storyteller is telling your story or the story of the plant or the story of the soil or how... You know all those things weave together. That's a story. It's it's about helping people to reimagine how things are or could be, and it sparks a sense of imagination of, of otherness that hadn't really stopped to think about before. And it had these aha moments, and I and so that's where I I found myself going to, just naturally. I didn't try to do it, and that that's kind of where where it was working and so I started up this YouTube channel a couple of years ago and um, I think now as over a million people have watched these little videos about permaculture which is so amazing and I, and I love it so I thought okay well maybe I could actually start to do an online course and I put it out there and I asked people through the YouTube through the the blog that I write as well which is all it's called our permaculture life and I wanted to say our because it is our permaculture life and it's mm-hmm. about not just about the not just about the design or not just about you know the elements it's actually about your whole life and how you know so that's where the name came from and uh, so I write the blog and I do the, the YouTubes and I ask people, so, you know, if I was to do more education, I'm sort of trying to rethink how I might that offer that to you. So, again, the design of my educational programs is also a, sort of a living process and I put it out there and whatever comes back is how it how it evolves. And it also evolves with how my family are so my kids are now sort of getting a little bit older they're 12 10 and 5 and so things are a little bit different I can go out a bit more and spend a bit more time doing different things um anyway the feedback was online because there was a lot of people who were hooking into what I was doing from all around the world so I've spent the last year I guess probably trying to work out how to do this and I just launched it the other day and I'm really excited because there's like 80 80 people who have signed up and they're forming already um, a real strong sense of community connection within that and encouraging um, people uh, are already self-organizing with um, organizing meetups and sharing of seeds and resources and ideas and inspirations and um, uh, at the moment we're kind of working on looking at our statement of intent and purpose and visioning and they're sharing that and so there's this cross fertilization that's happening from all different perspectives and and so I, i'm I'm really excited about where it's going, so I'm also weaving together um, the permaculture design certificate with a, a permaculture teacher certificate and and you know they're going to get all of this other stuff as well there's you know'm i really trying to make it as, as rich and as interesting so you can kind of dive in as deep as you want to go and um, part of what I'm working on doing too is is doing maybe some sort of little journeys to, to connect up with people in different places and, mm-hmm. and work with people as I go.
1: Yeah. I might just quickly ask a question on behalf of a lot, potentially a few listeners out there, which is are there any spaces left? And if not, when's the next one start?
0: It's always open. I, I okay. thought long and hard about this. And so actually what it is, it's a 10-month course and you can take, Its minimum is 10 months because what I want people to do is spend time Um, in their landscape, designing their projects, but in time developing and and evolving educational programs. But you can take as long as you want as well. Mm -hmm. So the doors are now open. As of yesterday, the doors are open. And anyone who wants to come is welcome. And each week you'll get a new module delivered to you. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a series of assessments. And once you've done those, then your certificates will be um, available to you. Um, but it uh, yep, always open door and um, always welcome new people.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, wonderful. And and obviously the flavours and the energy of your beautiful sharing earlier are going to be coming through the, the like the portals of the of you know of the modules so to so to speak.
0: Yeah, and then we also have like live chats too. So mm. we have Zoom sessions and um, extra master classes that they, they want more information on, so mm. they'll send me information and we'll, we'll um, craft up something around that. And so an interactive, it's not just sort of I deliver you modules, you do it and off you go. Mm-hmm. I, I designed it to be very much a, an interactive, engaging process where uh, people can continue to to ask and gain support for the things that they need to do because there's mm. such a rich diversity of, of, um, of backgrounds and needs and and visions of what people would like to do with with permaculture, which mm-hmm. is absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm absolutely blown away and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling really absolutely honored to be part of this process. You know, the people are trusting me to to come and, and spend this time learning um, in this way. And one of the things that I'm also very excited about is that for every, Every course that is bought i'm also donating a course to somewhere uh, in the global south, so I've been talking with people in in Kenya and Uganda and Indonesia currently and and starting to sort of ripple the news about this out so there's an application process that can that can come in as well for that and so really what i'm trying to do is to make sure that it's accessible and available as widely as possible um, because I really believe that a permaculture livelihood is can open up so many doors for so many people in so many different contexts, and and the more the more of us there are, the more wonderful things are happening in, in neighborhoods and communities everywhere. So, so that's that's what's happening there, and I'm also offering to um, to develop up partnerships with people so that uh, so different organisations, um, so that they can also generate some money for their local projects through this too. So there's a whole oh, wow. lot
1: of
0: yeah. layers going on ripples, in this. And I really want to
1: ripples. Yeah, and yeah, in my my last um, episode, I was chatting with Joel Glandsberg and one thing he talked about is for him, permaculture's core is, is something like, something around um, a systems or based framework for finding those acupuncture points that that can catalyse systemic Transformation you know, and create a lot of positive change for just you know, the right amount of energy in the right place at the right time. And as you speak, it's clear that's that's already happening and will continue to happen, which I'm really really excited about. And as you're speaking, one strong feeling I, I had coming up inside myself was: um, if you're open to it, I'd love for this to be the first of either two or three chats. You know, because I feel like you've you've really shared an incredibly rich offering, and and it'd be lovely to honour that. You know maybe I could listen to it again and, and bring some of the messages together into a whatever package and we could start the next one on that and then, and then maybe go um, a bit more, um, you know, look, look at some specific process examples and, you know, get into the nuts and bolts a little bit more and then just see where it goes from there. But I, I, I mean, that would be really valuable for me. Like, I'm so excited to explore the the deep overlap between what it is, you know, I've, I've been kind of the realizations I've been having, and you know, mm all that and 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 so well, all of what you've been sharing and and realizing how much I can I can learn from you it's exciting wow I don't have this feeling <laughs> very often <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> well I would love to and you know I it's for me also it's I, I love to find people too that I can have these conversations mm-hmm. with yeah. it's a really nourishing thing I think to find people that you can bounce ideas off and mm-hmm. give feedback to each other. And, and I think it, it is about that. You know, there's there's different layers to the relationships that you need, I think, to feel whole. You know, there's the, the day-to-day relationships that you have and there's the community relationships and then there's the sort of, you know, the, I don't know, the philosophical relationships that you have and there's all different sorts of relationships. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this one that we have, I find really important and really nourishing. And I, you know, there was sort of a, a, a layer of that missing in my life. And so thanks, Dan.
1: Oh, <laughs> very reciprocally felt. Yeah, yeah. And, wow, I almost just want to go and take a bushwalk or something, you know, just let all these lovely flavours <laughs> percolate and so on. Yeah, seriously, like, I don't usually do this. Like I took all these notes. It's, it's like, yeah, just so much of what you were saying is was around designing with not for but even beyond that care you know creating care and connectivity and, and Ronnie is something another colleague bill reed said recently about a healthy process is part of its point is to support people to fall in love with life again
0: yeah, you know, to, be, yes, to
1: come alive again and to be empowered to and the stuff around public space this is our yeah. space you know and 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 we have the ability to take responsibility for shaping it, and that's exciting, and that puts us. It is, isn't it? that's the pulse of life, and the process itself. How you're talking about that being alive, a living system, and, and that sense of ease. Yeah, which I felt yeah. so clearly. Like I don't need to be an expert. It's not hard anymore. It's it's effortless. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> yeah You know, it's like it's 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 an, it's enriching and energizing rather than draining to yeah.
0: to let the process live. Some, when you feel that. And you feel that ease and you feel that joy, mm. I think there's a sense, there's something that ripples out and connects and oh, yeah. infuses and then you you feed off each other with that kind of, you know, the word happiness kind of gets thrown around so much. But there is that deep, deep mm. sense of happiness and joy and I, and I feel that when I'm mm. working in that space and, mm-hmm. and I, yeah. I just, I love it, you know. Mm. That's why I keep coming back. For more as well, I know, you know, I have this deep sense that there's a real purpose in it, but it's also this deep sense of of joy and and um, mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like I, you know, I know. At that time, I was saying when I was sparkling, mm-hmm. you know, things were starting to. At the same time, there was another. There was the flip side to that. When I started to do things that were not connected with that, I'd feel like this inner deep pain, and and I've. Since that point, I've tried to keep that as a reference. You know, when I feel the yep. sparkly, yes, things mm. are flowing, connecting, and snap, snap, it's all mm. working. Mm. When you get bogged, you know, and you know, you know it mm. before you feel it before you know it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think the more we can start to really connect in on at that at that sort of whole body level of knowing. Totally. Um, yep. We, yep. you know, we can start to. Yeah. Prevent our own crises and health issues.
1: Mm. <laughs> yes. Oh, so much so. Oh, my God. Yeah, I've been really going deep into all that lately. Like, and that, yeah, that happiness, that aliveness, which yeah. you can, I'm sort of becoming addicted to. Like I'm becoming addicted <laughs> to being alive, you know, <laughs> and, and realise this is what well, it that's is. that's
0: a good thing to be Yeah, to. yeah,
1: it's a great it's like
0: thing. feeling of
1: To be a life you know, junkie. And
0: yeah, but it, you know, it's contagious.
1: Yeah. Oh, so contagious. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And I, yeah, so I mean, I don't know if you're feeling, but it was probably, it feels like probably a pretty good place to, to wrap it up. I'm not sure exactly how long we have been talking, but it feels like a, a good chunk. Over an hour, I
0: think. I feels yeah. like an Whatever hour. Whatever it was, ish. yeah,
1: yeah. I was, time, time disappeared there for, <laughs> for a little while. All
0: right.
1: <laughs> See, you. See get, you soon. Yeah, get some sleep tonight. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Bye. Tonight. Thank you. Wow. What can I say? What can I possibly say about, about that? Um, Morag blew me away, and I um, would be very surprised if at least a high proportion of you listeners out there uh, weren't similarly blown away. Now, I'm pretty sure I caught all of the names and books and all that and links and stuff that Morag referred to, you know, so you can find those in the show notes, the page on Making Permaculture Stronger, where this, this episode is released. You can track down Morag at ourpermaculturelife.com life.com and access videos, courses um, lots and lots of stuff, lots of great content as always you can leave a comment or catch similar episodes and read stuff in permaculture on this this kind of genre uh, at the makingpermaculturestronger.net blog you can also send a message, always lovely to hear from you, this is a bit of a, a obviously a passion of mine it's a hobby something i fitted where i can and one thing that helps keep me motivated and energize me to keep teeing up the next interview and all that kind of stuff is when i get word from the universe that the universe is appreciating the effort <laughs> no pressure but see how you go maybe, maybe that maybe that will push a few of you across the line not that i'm complaining so many of you are getting in touch and very very grateful for that I'll stop going on and I'll hope to catch you on another episode very soon. Okay, bye.